The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Previously on the Mike Wise Show. This week on the Mike Wise Show. We've got a huge surprise. There's no Mike Wise. I'm on a top secret mission at an undisclosed location, and I'm officially off the grid. Yeah, I went through your contact list, and I found just the right person to fill in for you, Mike, but uh, they weren't available, so (laughs) here I am. Look, can you be the host of this show and a producer at the same time? I I can't imagine it. It's a long shot, Mike. No question about it. I'm going to do my best, but let's put it this way. Hopefully, there's a show left for you to host when (laughs) you return. That was last week when producer Bruce filled in for me and did his best to run this show into the ground. But luckily, I'm back to repair the tarnished reputation of the Mike Wise Show. Coming up, we have a Hall of Famer with us. And as we approach the end of Bubble Ball, we'll do all our best to make sense of everything both on and off the court. But first, darling, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? As always, thank you, Darlene. Jack McCallum is a journalistic legend, having received the Kurt Gowdy Media Award from the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2005. He spent 27 years at Sports Illustrated, has written a bunch of books, and knows the rich history of the NBA better than anyone. We could spend half the show on his resume, but instead, I've known him for a long time. Welcome, Jack. Let's not spend half on my resume. (laughs) That was enough what you did right there. That's good. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, I... Like you said before we got on, nobody's doing great, but we're we're all hanging in there in some way or another. Um, you've, it, I mean, you, when did you officially leave Sports Illustrated, where you weren't getting a full time check anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit confusing. You know, I tell yeah. Sports Illustrated, I was so lucky to have been there during the uh, glory years or whatever that I can still shamelessly trade on the name there are still playoffs come around and i'll get a call from a charlotte radio station jack you want to come on and size up that uh, first round i go well i haven't been on a beat in 11 years but i'll be glad to tell you how alonzo morning was when he so i the last year i was there officially was 2008 and then 2009 uh, i did a lot of stuff and i've continued to do stuff every year i'm still on the masthead as you know as some other guys are steve russian uh richard hoffer a couple other guys that we had a long association there we kind of wanted to leave it was time yeah they were kind enough to say hey we still want you in the warm bosom of the company and uh so i still pretty much every year for the last 11 12 years have at least written a couple things it, yeah. it gets less it gets diminished as time gets on because things change in our uh, business. yeah i mean we could go into what the magazine yeah, was was and could, is but, 
it's it would just uh, because I know there's still people that you work with and like and respect and there's no reason to I mean it, it is what it is they they don't own the place and it's just a different journey but but I you know I look as you said you stay busy if you've written Dream Team uh, which you covered uh, as well as anybody when it happened and you you have a hell of a retrospective of a book that I I know is getting a lot of love you've done. Uh, you knew David Stern much better than I did because you covered him in the eighties and, you know, and, and you, I'm sure you had a lot of um, ro uh, reminiscing through the last dance as I did. That was sort of, my, those were your like middle NBA years. Those were sort of my green ones. I think I got hired at the New York times in 1994, but I was still I was so nostalgic in so many ways. And yeah. it was great hearing people, um, I, I wrote uh, SI.com, the website asked me to kind of, and it was in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. And they asked me to write right after the episode to write. And I just, it was the longest stuff I ever wrote. I couldn't stop writing. First of all, I loved it. There was a lot to say. It was during the pandemic. They just said, hey, man, give it to us, you know? And I probably wrote, I, I, I'm trying to think, I wrote, there were 10 parts of it. There were 10 parts. Of yeah. yeah. So I wrote five pieces about it. All of them were at least, <laughs> at least 3,000, 3,500 words. And so I really got wrapped up. In that was it. great. Like everybody else, it was, it was something we, you know, we kind of needed, we could argue about, yeah. and you could have your criticism with the series, I suppose, but it was pretty damn good. And I, I really got a lot out of it and really enjoyed it. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I th it, it's funny how when you're living stuff in real time, you kind of know some, th some moments when you go, I'm going to look back on this. And, and I, I remember saying that about that jazz series, just being there again. I mean, think to this day, probably like three or four things I've covered in my career live that that had to be right in the top five, maybe top three game six in Utah. It was, it was so amazing. And, um, but then shoot, I've covered so many of, I, I've covered all of LeBron's career and I'm, I'm continually amazed by him in so many ways. And I'm uh, And now, especially his longevity that he could play this well, this long, I think, you know, this, this will come out, uh, Monday, the Heat'll be down uh, two one. It'd be one of the great upsets in NBA playoff history and finals history if they won it. I still see the Lakers prevailing in five or no more than six. Um, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, and, and not only just on the Lakers, but bubble ball. What in, in a what I thought was going to be not interrupted, but almost tone deaf with everything going on outside and the way they shoot you know this of course is the nba that does this better than anybody but the way they melded with the social uh conscience message with all the athlete activism the way they sort the way they realize that these some of these athletes don't even want to be here but if we can do this right and they can use this as a, a platform to talk about brianna taylor to talk about all the uh, racial ra racial reckoning um, and the law enforcement, the black community. This was a the, the, the NBA did it flawlessly, and I, I'm still blown away by the whole thing. I still don't like the pop up crowd. Your thoughts on it all? Being a guy that's, you know, I would say, old school. Yeah. 
Well, um, a couple years ago, a year and a half ago, I started researching, had nothing to do with the pandemic. Breonna Taylor had not happened yet. George Floyd had not happened yet. I just started doing some research about, uh, you know, the early racial roots of basketball, the way the game spread. Um, it, you know, it's not a surprise to know that, gee, there was discrimination back. But I started getting the, the stories with the hopes of maybe turning into a book. I haven't figured it out yet. So anyway, so that was in, you know, floating around in my head. And then the, the pandemic come, came along and you use the word reckoning. And, you know, not to over-dramatize this, but we've all sort of had to do this during the pandemic. You've all had to come, if you haven't, if you haven't sat back and tried to look at things differently, you know, I don't know what the hell you're doing. If you sat back and looked at things and came to the same conclusions, hey, I'm thinking the same way I ever did. Okay, fine for you. But it really did force me to look at, you know, the way I used to cover things and try to figure out, uh, could I have done differently? Could I have done more? You know, it's funny, Mike, my, one of my sons asked me, mm the other day, uh, hey, the Rodney King thing happened. When Did you know that they moved uh, won a playoff game to Las Vegas because of the Rodney King verdict? This was in 92. I said, well, of course I knew it. I covered it. You know, he goes, I, I didn't know, know that. I, that's like a lost fact. I did not. I don't remember that. It happened. In, and, and I tell you what, if you read Jack McCallum's story, you would have still forgot it because my son said, what did you write about it? And I went back and mm -hmm. I dug up, you know, on the Mr. Google, dug up my story. I don't, you know, and I went to Vegas. It was game. The Lakers were not good that year. It was a year that Trailblazers ended up playing Jordan in the finals. The Shrug, the Shrug series, but right. Michael tortured. He looked uh, at magic. No. So, um, I went back and looked at the story, and I'm sure I would have had a discussion with my editors. Hey, we're not covering Rodney King. You've got to give us some basketball. And I wrote this story, and it's almost devoid of any mention of why we're there. Now, somewhere else in the magazine, probably a scorecard or something yeah. like that, they probably did something. But the way you did things, even, you know, in Sports Illustrated, was quote pretty conscious and somewhat right. cultural but you would do that you know entirely different now you would want to do it differently you would look at it differently your editors would allow you to look at it differently so all this to get back to the original question about mm. which is not really answering it but this thing uh has put everybody in a position where if you were a writer as you and i were you really you really had to come to grips with the way you're looking at things and the way you looked at things. And uh, it's been a, sometimes a harsh, uh, sometimes a harsh revelation. That probably does not answer your question, but. No, but it's great. I think it's great because it's sort of, we all look back and we, and we see what, you know, everybody always says, oh, you were one of the first people in DC to really um, go against the grain when it came to Washington's name. And I'm like, yeah, but, I didn't really do it until I got to Washington. I mean, I, I wrote a couple things in the New York times, but I didn't really have a column voice at that point. And, but, but um, it's amazing. Like when you, 
when something becomes clear to you, how it does change your, your outlook on things. I, I like little things like, um, I've, I've, one thing I've been really good about is every newsroom I've been in from the Sacramento union to, uh, the times to, I was, I was a copy editor of the Mercury news for a while. Like everywhere I was, I always sort of was always questioning, like, why don't we have more women here? Why don't we have more like black people? Why don't we have more Hispanic people? We live in San Jose. Why don't we have more? And I would always be like this sort of like, I don't, I don't want to say it was enlightened, but I think having grown up in Hawaii, I was always more comfortable around a lot of different races. And I thought, why this, this would be embody the community. And, and yet I'm in this point now in my career where I'm going, uh, I'm a middle-aged white guy. I wouldn't hire me for that job because there's some good people out here that happen to be people of color who have the same credentials. Why would I hire me? And like, and so it's, it's, it's weird in many ways, but it's also, um, it, it, you know, it makes you think like, or somebody said recently, I said, did you ever think you got a job? Cause I go, no. But now I look back and I go, well, there might've been a white sports editor that thought I'm more comfortable with this guy because he's my race. And I don't know, but the bottom line is I, 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 I know that white privilege doesn't necessarily have anything to do with me other than I was born into it, but I have to accept that it's there. And if I don't, then I'm, uh, I'm out to lunch. When, uh, when you covered the league and I started, you know, I got to SI in 81. Yeah. NBA stories and I mean but what, by the way what a great time to start I mean the you know the magic bird era was barely in its in its second year I mean that's just incredible yeah it was I'm a total product of timing I mean the only yeah. advantage of being old is that for journalism at SI I was there <laughs> I wrote for for covering the NBA and being at Sports Illustrated like I got on the I was on the elevator you know, so what I was going to say was, when you whether you were white or black, uh, covering the NBA, there was you were always sort of covering race. You know what I mean? It was there, when I started in the '80s. Then you there was still the echoes of the '70s: white flight, teams in trouble. Hey, these black guys are using cocaine. The white fans don't want to watch it. They don't even like Pete Maravich because he's too fancy, you know. <laughs> so there was always, you, you were always sort of covering that. And I also came along at a time when just this extraordinary number of African-American journalists came around. I mean, I remember sitting one time, I, I came, I had my tray. I think yeah. it was 86 or 87 finals. I sat down and I was with Dave Dupree, who was my best friend on the beat, Will Bond. David Aldridge, uh, David Steele, uh, Brian Burwell. Yeah, you know, uh, rest in <laughs> rest in peace. And exactly. And I sat down, and I remember. Uh, I think it was not Will. I was probably. Uh, it it may have been Burwell that said to me, "Hey, can you be in this club? What are you doing sitting here?" You know? <laughs> so, you knew that, you, yeah, that was cool because you knew then that there was a genuine change going on. Yeah, you got a taste of it. You were covering mostly. Now, what you weren't covering, interestingly, Mike, alluding to what you said about did I get this job, was you weren't. You were dealing mostly with white executives. Yeah. And somebody later asked me, you know, the first year I covered LeBron, I mean, I was all, I was literally old enough already, not just to be his father, to be his grandfather. <laughs> And somebody said, and by then there were many young 
African-American reporters. And somebody said, don't you think uh, they get a break like Iverson would rather talk to somebody who looks like him than somebody that looks like you? And I said, probably. But do you think Jerry Sloan you know, would rather, would feel more comfortable? <laughs> I'm probably more like Iverson, but I certainly look more like Jerry Sloan. So the advantages, uh, any disadvantages later yeah. that a white reporter must have had. Uh, you know, somebody said to me, some uh, African-American journalist got a job, and he said, somebody, and he said, hey, uh, you know, it's a great time to be a black journalist. And I said, hey, we had a good run. We had a 3,000 year <laughs> run. <laughs> we, There's the, we did okay. Still. Back to the Greeks. We did all right, man. Right, right, yeah, right. <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, I, you know, I think that uh, I, I remember uh, Stephen A coming in. And, uh, Stephen A will laugh at this because I know him, but he's such a character. But he walked into the Knicks locker room once. He goes, "What's going on? What's going on?" And then he and it was like, "Oh, the brothers here. Okay, all right." And me and I, me and Frank, I saw looking at each other. Well, of course, when he walks away, Oakley's going man he's crazy you know like and you understood in that moment that there are two kinds of people in the nba there are players and there are writers and journalists and yet some people you're right it's i i i, I can't have the black experience and share that with patrick ewing um but i can learn about it and that that part for me that's the greatest part of the league for the last well, i do think and the nba was i mean you've you've covered I mean, I covered a lot of, you know, I started out covering high school wrestling in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania in 1970. So the NBA was so clearly the best place Mm. to where at least things could change. Black journalists were invited in, women journalists, you know, Jackie was doing this when she was, Jackie McMullen was, you know, and I remember she came on to that Celtics beat, you know, 85, 86 or something like, it was a rough go there, you know, with some of the people, but, oh, I bet. but you, I mean, obviously Jackie would be better to talk about it. And we have talked well, she, about We were going to have her on tonight. We we're going to have the Jack Mac and Jackie Mac show. And, and yet we've now learned, and I can break this uh, worldwide. She has sold her podcast rights to Ringer um, and ESPN Letter. And um, Bill Simmons has yet to call me yet. I'm upset about it, but I understand. Jackie Mack is a big get. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack, Jack, we, when we worked together at, uh, once again, we're getting off the subject, but she yeah. came to SI. I got off the beat at some point in the 90s. I was editing Scorecard. Jackie took over. And Jackie will tell a story about, you know, getting a phone call that was intended for me one time because people got us confused. And, you know, broke a story, you know, because they thought that it was Jackie uh, McMullen calling. Just a couple, I guess it was last year, I sent out a tweet. I decided to make fun of Belichick one day in a tweet. You know how, you know how yeah. we do. Hey, let's make fun. Of it. Yeah. I had this assault of people reply to me. And one of them was, no, more than one was, yeah, well, you're a woman. What do you know about, you know, I go, <laughs> that's hilarious you know so we've had our confusion uh over the time you know 
But I, I just go, you know, kind of bringing it back to where we were talking about. It's a lot of this had to do with a guy we both know and passed away this year in David Stern. Um, he probably, the, if not the greatest commissioner in modern American sports history, clearly the most progressive and a guy that understood that um, at some point uh, these players, I mean, these the white black thing with bird and magic was good and it electrified the country in many ways, but it was also at some point you had to accept the fact that the, the, the league was predominantly black. And I look at these guys now and they're such, maybe it's partly because of society, but I think a lot of it's David Stern, like these guys, you know, they're crossover stars and they're, you know, and it's like that weird line in, in Spike Lee's do the right thing when, when the guy says uh, the the Pino character in the restaurants using the N word, and he goes, he goes, well, what about Michael Jackson? What about Prince? Well, they're not. <laughs> and the bottom line is like the NBA guys are so big now. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't. I know this is crazy, but <clears throat> excuse me. I remember Bird at one point, even Billy Hunter, the former exec said, you know, the league needed another American-born white superstar to really. I don't know if that's true anymore. Yeah, uh, maybe it's because we are in society, but I don't. I don't think it's you know. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's it always helps to like having Tiger Woods in golf. If you're black, you could racially identify. I don't know if I don't know if you need that anymore. No, I I do not think you do. But you very much did. And one of the things, two two points about Stern was when I started covering it, and you're a little young, I think, to remember this. But one of the things he was able to sell was this idea that the best players coming into the league, and this is why Magic was invaluable. Yeah. They were coming out of the 70s. And you, if you would describe to your listeners how bad, where the NBA was on the spectrum of American sports, you couldn't, you would shock them yeah. with how bad. At Sports Illustrated, it was the sixth sport. You know, college Horse baseball, racing. Football, football, baseball, hockey. NBA. So what happened was David Stern, with the cooperation of Magic Johnson, Julius Irving, Larry in his own way, and then later, you know, Michael, they, they had this idea you had to buy into the league. You had to sell it. That was kind of the paradigm that you cooperated. And so when guys say now, well, it's not the same league and they're not as cooperative, but well, that's true, but they're coming into a league that, you know, prints money, that they don't go, oh, gee, if I don't cooperate, uh, Indiana's going to go under. <laughs> that doesn't, that's, that's not part of their DNA when they come in anymore. So I completely understand that. But what, one thing I just want to say about Stern was that he died the night of January 1st. And uh, I was up in, in fact, I was in Vermont. I was about to start teaching this Jan, Jan term course. Mm. And I got the news. We all knew that he had, it didn't look good, right, Mike? I mean, I don't think, yeah, after I'm the not, stroke, uh, I don't think he ever came no. out of it. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. So I was in the room of the house we were renting and I heard the news. And, you know, I go, oh, this is terrible. I knew it was going to happen. And suddenly, like, uh, this is hard to talk about, but this wave of emotion came after, mm. over me. And it was, I was so uh, sad because, and I didn't expect it. It wasn't like, hey, I called up David every, you know, 
every five days or even every month. Mm -hmm. But, and I, I realized, you know, how much of what I was as a professional person was not because of him, but it was tied into this whole story that he was part of the center of. And I started uh, mm -hmm. tweeting about it, like all these memories of Stern started. And it was incredible how the response to it, you know, I don't, and it's not like I have millions of followers and it's not like everybody liked him. There was a certain distrust of David who didn't understand what he had maybe done and understandably violating the Chris Paul trade, you know, the dress code, there's a lot of stuff on the other side. Yeah. But I was, I still think of that, of how this shitty year got underway with the death of, of David Stern. And it was sort of like the ship, you know, a, a hole got in the ship at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a ridiculous way to look at no, it. No, but it's... The no, pandemic didn't have anything to do with David Stern, but this whole year, when I look back on it, it was that moment when David died. And then three weeks later, you know, Kobe, and it was like, what in the hell is going on here just in the little world uh, I occupied, you know? It was yeah. Hard to deal with, you know, it really was. No, I, I'm with you. I, I'm trying to think if I lost tears. I did at the, I think I did at the memorial service because there was a couple moments when um, people were just so, uh, it was, it, did you go to the memorial service? Well, I, I had can't, due to reasons beyond my control, I told you I was canceling this class. Yeah. I had had to cancel, it was on a Tuesday, and I had had to cancel Monday's class. I had had to, somebody else had to cancel another reason Wednesday. I could not take off Tuesday. I emailed Diane Stern. I yeah. said I would be there. She emails back, uh, Jack. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. But I think there'll be enough people. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. People there. Yeah, but I did see her at the memorial service, and she did mention she was hurt that you didn't show. No. But yeah. Sure exactly. Okay. Thank you. For but that. no, no, they, no. It was, you know, I'm sure you either saw it or heard about oh, it yeah. after. And it was, and it was, it was the ultimate like tough love sort of memorial service. Like David was really a buddy, and it was really like your. It was really like the hard ass teacher in your life that made that made you what you were and kicked your ass because they knew you could he could kick your ass, but he could also he would praise you when he you know like that person went away and he went away for so many people and and uh and yeah, even at like we're supposed to cover this guy objectively, and I had the same pang i mean we had um we Bruce because Bruce Bernstein, my producer, he knew him so well. He helped, uh, and I, and and when I called, we, you know, we went up to his office. We did the last sit down with him in like I think it was Halloween or like the the couple of days before, and we put it out after that. That was we spent ninety minutes with him in his office. I mean, he was, you know, he was a little slowed down from when we knew him, but it, there was nothing in your mind that said that this guy wasn't sure. He was hilarious. Yeah. He was, you know, he was, he was killing he me as only he could. And more acerbic because he didn't have to be so guarded. I'll tell you a right. story, Mike. I was doing his bio. They asked me to do his biography for the Hall of Fame program. So I was in his office, coincidentally, the day that Adam Silver kicked Donald Sterling out of the league. Wow. I walked in there. And so you're looking at uh, 2014. Yes. Right. And, and, uh, and that because I went in because I, I went into the yeah, I went to that hall, of, which was one of the great Hall of Fame uh, nights in Springfield ever. 
Um, but yeah, that was. Uh, uh, I and, thought and he was going to cancel, and I I begged him eight times to let me write this background story about him because he kept taking phone calls. Yeah, I I can't say I know he was talking to Adam, but he sure. kept on back and forth, and then we sat there in front of the television and watched Adam. And David was like, he's like bouncing up in his seat. Yeah, they tell him, I'll go get him. Oh, that's great. What a, what a great moment. And when it was done, I, I begged him again. He said, you can't do it. I said, all right, here's the story. Let me write this story. I'll send it to you because you're telling me it's all. And you're going to find out it's harmless. You know, because he right. told me I couldn't violate his trust. I mean, he told me I couldn't write it. I'll throw you out of my office if you're going to write it. But I gave it a try. I emailed it to him quickly. My phone rings like, by this time I'm in the Sports Illustrated office in New York. McCallum, if you run this story, I told you, I said, okay. I just told you I was gonna <laughs> give you a chance. I like that you tried. Yeah, you said I, I could yeah. To this day, it's probably, you know, it's gotta be one of my biggest, not that it would have been that, amazing yeah but just the idea that i happened to be there when the when the torch was you know certainly metaphorically passed. i'm wondering yeah i'm wondering if you could write that now like i think there'd almost be well, a, like I'm talking about it now so. right no. yeah but i think it's a, it'd be a great piece like uh almost like a year to the uh, day he died or something uh, yeah. anniversary because i think i think what you just said jack is like so Man, it, uh, it not just because we're NBA guys and we knew him. Like I, the NBA turned into such a big window, almost a prism into how screwed up the year was. Not just the Kobe death, which, I mean, if you told me, you know, there was one basketball player who died in a helicopter accident, and uh, and and oh, oh, it just happened to be one of the five greatest players of all time and one, you know, one of the great, you know, second or third best wing player. I go, what? Like Kobe Bryant died? It was just so, it's to this moment, it's surreal. And then to have really American businesses start shutting down the moment Rudy Gobert gets to get, to get some coronavirus positive test and the jet and everything and silver realizes wait the the kings don't want to play tonight because it's the same referee that refer all of a sudden the league shuts down within within three days america shut down it was yeah. and, and it was all because the nba started it and i'm looking right. at like how like and and they're they're all out in front of this whole uh they're all out in front of this whole black lives matter movement in so many ways and i and and, and they're the ones that you could tell they're it's one thing for us to say really cringe and see something on TV like George Floyd and go, Oh my God, how could that happen? I'm sh it's another, it's gotta be another thing to be black and see that. And, and those play, they, that, those players, God bless them. They didn't have to say anything. They could have took that to, uh, to, to their hotel rooms. They could have internalized it. Uh, but they didn't, they, they, they put themselves out there in ways that, you know, I never saw it coming. I never saw it coming, really. And um, I don't know. I'm in, I'm blown away by how big the NBA played into this year of, I guess, human misery in so much way, well, in so many ways. And again, you can tell. I'm sure. You know, obviously, they've gotten their share of shit from it. But you can tell sort of the outgrowth of that in other sports. I remember the college football announcer. You know, Kirk Herbstreet was it that had yeah. the, you know public. 
there have been so, I'm, and I'm sure somewhere in that league are two or three people gone, you know, I don't want to have something on my shirt. I don't believe this. But the overwhelming effect of this mm -hmm. is that so many people, once again, I get back to that word, if there's a reckoning that you've had to sort of start thinking about these things that you may have only thought about. It's a terrible thing to have happened. You know, the death of George Floyd and then Breonna Taylor tumbling along and there's four or five other ones. And then the pandemic, uh, you know, exposing the, the manifest differences, you know, that how this has yeah. affected, you know, different cultures and races. You've had, if you haven't come to something, if you haven't had to think about things, uh, you know, differently, there was a moment in, in about 10, nine, six, seven days into the shutdown. My son, my youngest son, lost uh, two of his fingers in a wood chopping accident. What? That night. How old is night, he? Huh? How old's your youngest? <laughs> he's not very young. He's 40. <laughs> but your youngest is 40? What's that? Your youngest is 40? Yeah. My God, when did you guys start having kids? At 15? That's, oh, that's what are you, how old? Never mind. Let's not. So, um, this is like that, week, weekend at Jack's. I mean, come on. <laughs> that night, uh, John Prime died. He lost, he lost John Prime four. died that night. So oh, wow. there are like four of us men on a Zoom call, like crying, like, on, get me out. <laughs> Wait, who died that night? What's that? Who died that, that night? night? The night of my, that happened with my son. Oh, right. You know, uh, so I, it was just, you know, it, for a time it was too much. And uh, like I said, I didn't even. John Prine. Okay. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I was lucky, you know, but yeah, so many dark uh, moments during this that, that uh, everybody had. And uh, yeah. hey, my son's now playing the, you know, guitar and banjo and writing with his left hand. So uh, he's had some, you know, he had some moments of reckoning during the it was, whole. It was a, it was a wood chopping accident. Yeah, he, he, uh, a wood chipper, uh, I'd rather not think of exactly how it happened, although I know. Oh my God. And it was during the pandemic. So what happened was, he has three kids, his wife had to scoop up, he, he cuts off his fingers, they, or he, never mind. They I had know, this is good, I'm, cr I'm cringing, and my audience is cringing, but this is incredible. I'd rather talk about this than bubble ball. <laughs> She's got... Three kids, he just about chopped off two of his fingers. Oh. So, throws him in the car to go to the hospital, cannot go in with him because it's the pandemic. So, hey, you're going to be okay? You know? We'll let you all hear the emergency room. Oh, my God. No. It's like a big... Oh my God, the 20, like just, just that story alone, like you talk about like a 2020 moment that will like go unnoticed. Well, I had a, I had a knee replacement uh, during like on March 1st, I got yeah. my knee replaced. So in a way it was the worst time because everything else is so dark and I'm rehabbing my knee. On the other hand, there wasn't a goddamn other thing to do. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, you gonna, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Like if you're ever going to get some elective no, I surgery. Did a, you know, I did a, uh, a pretty good job of, uh, of rehabbing it, but uh, there were some, I would say the Lord's name was taken in vain more than a few times. <laughs> well, I, I, this is awful, but I, as soon as you said, which I was thinking of 
Bruce should actually, if, I don't know if this would be a copyright, but we get the, 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 the clip from Fargo where Francis McDormand goes, and that was your friend in the wood chipper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh man, that's well, well, God well, bless, created, God bless America. That, what? We've created shirts with them that now have this logo. Well, yeah, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the hook em horns or the like rock out, rock on. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's, man, that's, uh, that's an awful one. I, everybody's lost something this year. Um, I was, I, I can, I can now do a me culpa about it. I wrote a piece for the Washington Post op-ed after the Marlins all tested positive, basically saying, I didn't say the NBA shouldn't play, but I, my thought was all sports in general. Like, you know, we want sports now. We don't need them. And this doesn't feel like 9-11 where sports knew its place and it backed off and then it sort of restarted. And then it became almost a galvanizing thing for a lot of people. If, you know, if there was ever such thing as sports you know, lifting up uh, or being part of civic unity, I felt like being in New York during 9-11, I really felt that. But, but I was really bothered by the maybe college football and the notion of, you know, if we can fulfill some of these network deals, we don't have to lose the money we were going to. And, and it just became so much like the pop-ups and baseball. And, and yet for some reason, man, I, I was glued to the TV as soon as this playoff started. And maybe yeah. it's because Nikola Jokic, Jokic passes like few big men I've ever seen. And it's just so fun to watch. Maybe it's because Jamal Murray's, uh, as crafty a player as, you know, he's got so much Steph Curry in his game and even more when he goes driving to the hole that I can't, I'm blown away by him. And, and all these, all these fun teams and players and these dramatic games in front of nobody. And it just reminded me how much I missed, I missed covering basketball and I miss watching it. And, uh, and it really, it really provided a salve, so to speak for me anyway. No, and I'm sure it did for other people. Yeah, no question. I, I thought from the beginning, I, I, I guess I had a little bit of pro I didn't have any problem. That's not true. I only had this much problem with the pros going back. I thought college sports gone back was a real problem because of the campus, the connection to other kids. Not that these guys in the pros don't have connections, but I just thought the fact that you're allegedly on a campus with everybody else. I'm on a campus town right now my son's a professor at Middlebury mm. and there's a big sign you know before you uh I saw Duncan Robinson by the way play for Williams you know you did at Division Three Williams at Middlebury yeah he was a freshman he started oh, he must have just he must have been amazing well he's the kind of player that you know he's not posting up taking one dribble and dunking so you don't have the idea that he's my god he's this giant that we can't contain but his skill level yeah. was obviously, you know, but it's a very skilled conference. You know, you have a lot of good shooters. You have a lot of good guys handling the ball. Yeah. But sure, Duncan Robinson stood out, sure, because he hit over 50% of his threes and he had height, you know, so he could also rebound. But does, by, by the way, how does a guy like that not, got, not get drafted by the Spurs? I, I think the story really was, bad like, I think – I could have this wrong, and there's going to be people that know it. But he was like five foot ten. When At he Williams, like no, 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 not then. But like a sophomore, junior type of thing in in high school. Wow. And he had this. Somebody out there is going to correct me, but yeah. he had a size deficiency, uh, in, somewhere deep into his high school career, and got completely overlooked. Just looked like another kid that could kind of yeah. shoot the ball. Hey, D three kid. 
you know, he could shoot the ball. They got tons of good guards down there, you know, but he happened to grow to six, seven or six, eight and, you know, star in the big 10. So, you know, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I, yeah, I'm, the whole thing is uh, the whole the whole thing's been uh, LeBron Michael. Um, I know it's the age old thing, and and it's like Mighty Mouse versus Superman at this point. Um, I you know I don't <clears throat> the whole goat thing. I think it, you could almost go to generation. I refused to even give up on Larry and Magic for years until I kept watching Michael and realizing how much greater he was <laughs> individually than almost anybody. Um, I feel like Michael Jordan's the most spectacular athlete I'll ever cover. I feel like LeBron James might be with longevity numbers and just just his consistency over the years and how I, I think he might be the greatest player I ever covered. Well, I'll get back to that question, but I looked up LeBron the first year he made the finals. Yeah. So this is now, what, is this his 10th finals? Uh, yes, tenth and okay. tenth and fourteen years, ninth and ten, <laughs> which is just insane. Okay, his fellow starters in the first uh, the first game. <laughs> oh, I love this. <laughs> were uh, no, and I'm not cutting up any of these people. I'm not yeah. saying they were, but I remember writing in a preview they were going to play the Spurs. I mean, they were just yeah. being fed to the Spurs, who were really good. Yeah, Duncan was at his best. Ginobili, Parker. Parker was Bowen. the MVP of that series. Oh, the MVP of the finals that year. Really, very underrated player, by yeah. the way, Tony Parker. I mean, he got in the paint yeah. better than any guard that's ever. Yeah. Uh, and I remember writing this: the second biggest weapon beside well, LeBron James is good, but you know they also have Daniel Gibson. Let's not <laughs> booby. Let's not forget Drew Gooden. Yep. Ilgalskis, uh, who was a very solid Z player. Sancho yeah. Pavlovich, Pavlovich, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They brought uh, Anderson Verjao. Yeah, you know, Anderson Verjao, Sideshow Bob. Yeah, off the bench. Yeah. Uh, and that was – Mo Williams. I Mo Williams was on that team, and I, I guess Larry – did Larry Hughes get – he may have gotten traded or something during that. Uh, well, he was – I think Larry Hughes might have been with the Wizards at that well, point. Well, no, he started out – I know he started out that season with, uh, with LeBron. Uh, yeah, yeah. Damon Jones came off the bench. So this was the team that LeBron, <laughs> LeBron arrived. Okay, yeah, he's got uh, you know he's got some guys now, and he had uh, you know he had Flash and uh, you know in had the big three in Miami. But LeBron has gotten there. He's you know there are these players that are just in another category of the other category. Michael's clearly there. Kareem is clearly there. Magic and Larry are. And LeBron is certainly in that category. Yeah. And anytime I'm asked the GOAT question, I say I'm completely prejudicial to the <laughs> era I covered. Yeah. I covered Michael. If you told me I think LeBron James is the uh, greatest player, better than Jordan, here are the reasons, I would sit there and listen to you and go, I can't argue with that. <laughs> but – all I'll say is I still think, because I never saw Jordan fail. His level of not failing to me. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan was a – I think Jordan was a – is still the greatest – like eat your heart out competitor that was that great at that level. I never, I don't think LeBron – He's. I think he's wanted it, and I think he's – but I, I don't think 
it defined him like Jordan. And I think in some ways, maybe that's why I like LeBron more is because he has a life outside of winning. Absolutely no doubt about that. And, and so I, I kind of respect, I like that. And uh, and maybe, you know, I, I don't want to knock Jordan for not being Mr. Socially Conscious Time, but it was, that wasn't a time in which athletes did that. And, 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 you know, you can make, you can almost say that, you know, being woke now doesn't make you go broke. You can actually get endorsements by, having all these enlightened views, but, but shoot, LeBron, LeBron James putting on a hoodie with uh, the rest of the heat that Trayvon Martin, that was the first time I remember like a sort of a modern era athlete long before Kaepernick, all that, like going saying, you know, maybe Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, but they all thought he was anti-American. But, but I remember thinking to myself, wow, this guy, this guy means business. He's like putting himself out there and the team's getting behind him. And I thought that was a kind of a, that, that, that to me, that was before um, any of the stuff in Ferguson, Missouri, you know. And oh, it was, it was 10, it was 10 years. It was one of the first viral moments that I can remember that image going yeah. out. Yeah. And so I, 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 I kind of like, I, maybe I like, because I, you know, whatever, my dad inbred it in my neurocortex about Ali and John Carlin, you know, even interviewing John Carlos on the phone and whatever, like, I was like, geez, I, I got to, you know, and, and, and so I got all into that, you know, and I grew up in the Bay Area and, you know, San Jose State, you know, was where, right, where we lived. And so all that stuff kind of resonated with me growing up. But, but so I, yeah, I was, I was kind of taken by that, but I, I'm with you. I, I don't know. I mean, I also think this is a weird thing that like the whole hyper-masculine black guy thing. I think LeBron gets prejudiced by a little bit. He's much bigger than Jordan. He's like a Mack truck. When he was, I covered, I went out to do a story on him at St. Vincent, St. Mary's with the New York Times. He was 18. He looked like he was 30. And, uh, you know, he just, LeBron, like when he goes down the lane, it's just not as graceful as Michael. And I think he gets, uh, I think he gets penalized for that in many ways. Yeah. The other thing about LeBron, I find it, well, two things. Number one, I did this first story on him when he came in the league. And I remember at that point, he had this, these Cleveland businessmen that were going to take over LeBron's career and they That's were right. Americans like one of them's name was Nance I think Mr. Nance bankers you know all this kind of stuff and LeBron said uh well you're really not I'm gonna kind of do it I got Maverick here you know and Rich we, Paul we were waiting for these missteps we were waiting for LeBron and beside the fact that he once said I'm taking my talents to South Beach the guy has not wow made a mit you know he's not made a misstep no. and the other thing i was going to say was as a corporate as a crossover phenomenon and you know michael was with spike lee you know crossover phenomenon able to sell lebron's a hundred times better than michael yeah. he's a terrific actor he takes on the persona he can play characters so he is really good at that part of the of that being able to do that, whereas Michael wasn't. Michael was just successful because he was so big. LeBron plugs into the whole ethos of it, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, my, oh yeah, there's times when, yeah, LeBron, uh, I mean, LeBron, LeBron's, I've seen him in games get away with taking more steps than most of my recovery groups. I mean, well, it's ridiculous. He, he, tonight, you knew there were two, there were three moments in the game late. He got called for walking two times in a row, and then he was heading up court, and uh, Kelly Olenek, Olenek, 
batted the ball out from behind him. I go, well, that's that's it. You can turn, you know, you can turn off the game now because this isn't going to be uh, this isn't going to be his game, you know. So yeah, no, um, uh, yeah. I'm um, all right. So before I let you go, a couple more things I really have to ask you about. Um, one. Do you have any regrets uh, in terms of stories you've written over the years, like that you really wish you could take back or see something different? Well, <laughs> it has, yeah, I mean, it has nothing to do with uh, basketball, but I was back in 99, 1999, um, I was assigned to do, I was going to go out and do a story on Penn State football. Penn State was really good. They were number two or three in the country or something. Well, I go out there. They get oh, I ass, know this story. Yeah. They get their ass kicked by Minnesota at home at State College. We can't do that story. Right. So I said, well, you know, they got, you know, we were, before we kicked around this guy, Jerry Sandusky, uh, you know, he runs his home for kids and uh, blah, blah, blah. And I wrote, I was one of the adults that wrote a, uh, a, a Jerry Sandusky story years later when it, the revelations came out. I was on CNN. And um, <laughs> I got home that night from the studio and my wife says to me, do you know what they put under your uh, Jack McCallum? It said Jack McCallum Sports Illustrated missed the Jerry Sandusky story. <laughs> like uh, I was the DA of Center County or something. Right. So right. That, that right. You, got, you got the emails from Joe Pa and you said, no, nah, just keep it internal. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I, I remember that only because I, I ended up writing a first-person piece about my own. Uh, and you write up all the reporters that screwed it up, or what? no, no, no. I wrote, no, I wrote, no. I wrote like a real, like whatever you call it, a first-person piece about my own child sexual abuse. You know, when I was a kid, and, and oh, it was I really, and yeah. I was, uh, but I don't think I would have done that had I not gone to the trial, uh, the sentencing, and saw some of those kids who were now in their mid twenties get on the stand and talk and like, and, and man, it was like unbelievable. Like, uh, like it, it made me realize, you know, how many of us that, you know, one that we're not alone, but two that you're, you, you like, you almost have a duty to say something now because of these guys that put themselves out there and you just don't want to see another kid get hurt in any way. And so, but, uh, you couldn't have known that. And I think uh, you could, well, I don't I, think anybody could have known that. Uh, certainly people closer. I remember talking to LaVar Arrington, uh, years later, and he goes, you know, he was he he was he was kind of uh, really chummy with this one young kid, but I didn't, and you know, it just the whole thing is. Just, Lavar was on that team. I remember. I was yes. gonna, I was going to focus on him. I had interviewed. He was, him, and I just thought that uh, I came home and I told my wife. I said, "Man, this guy. I don't know. This guy's done amazing things, but boy, he seems kind of screwy to me." The other thing I want to say, Mike, it would resonate with you quickly was that. Yeah. The one relationship that I never, that was sort of, uh, I don't want to use the word disappointing, a little fraught for me was Isaiah Thomas and me, mm. that I sort of probably missed some opportunities with Isaiah. When they won their second championship in 1990, they won in 89, they beat the Trailblazers in 90. Over the weekend, the story broke in Detroit that Isaiah was involved in some gambling thing. I don't know whether anybody yeah. even remembers it. And my instructions from SI were to kind of, uh, oh, I think you should write about this. I said, well, I didn't break that story. I don't have the reporting. Let's go back and let me write this final story. You know, Vinnie Johnson and 
how smart this team was and mm. probably not going to win it next year. And let, no, no, and I had to write this story about Isaiah. And I think, uh, right. And I talked to him over that weekend and I think rightfully so, uh, he always, well, I know he did cause we talked about it later and, uh, I never really, uh, I wish that could have gone differently. And I wish I would have argued my point more forcefully that we should have just done the story that was out there that I knew and I could write as well as anybody mm. and leave this kind of thing that I hadn't reported originally, could not do justice to making phone calls, you know, over a 24 hour period because I had a deadline. And, but uh, I had to write that uh, story. And that's, it, that's one of the things that sticks out, sticks out in my head. That, that, it, that you, it, ki it, uh, it killed your relationship with Isaiah? Well, I'm sure it did that, but uh, the fact that, I, you know, that I told him that I didn't think I should write it yeah. sounds A, like a lie, or B, wait, you don't have the balls to stand up and, uh, and do the story that you wanted to do? You know, so, uh, and I, I, I know he also looked at me as one of these guys, like, you kind of, you know, you get into these situations where if you, that Pistons team, you know, with the chip they had on their shoulder, he, you know, there were certain guys they just kind of looked at as gone too much with the house you know, too much with the Larry, Larry Magic Michael. I think they were a little wrong about that, but they might have been a little right also, if I... If do you I think, yeah, do you think Isaiah was guilty of throwing a game, or throwing, you know, shaving points or whatever, in hindsight? Do you believe there was... No, I do not. I do not believe in... The, it, it, the sad thing is I don't even exactly remember the accusations never rose to the yeah. level of uh, anything proven. And uh, yeah, it it just should have gone on. It's one of the things that, uh, and maybe the fact that it still sticks out. Probably, I I'm sure I could think of other things I could have oh, done. Oh, I I got I got I've got a litany. <laughs> probably more 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 of my former relationships than my stories. But yeah, just yeah, I I think uh, at this point you do your best and move on. And um, and like that would be my last one for you. It's, that's where basketball is. When can we, when when do you even think the fans will come back? Um, um, it's just such a well wild world. I mean, here is uh, we're in uh, October, and the most uh, smartest commissioner in the league that has done it the best isn't sure when the next season's going to begin. <laughs> So that about says everything you need to know about uh, sports. You know, uh, during this whole time, I told the pandemic, I had a knee replacement. I started. How's it going? It's going fine. Well, I, I rehabbed it. I, I feel today I climbed a mountain here. So uh, I was keeping this journal and I was reading it the other day. And I said to my wife, I have this entry in on March 30th. And it says, I said to my wife this morning, you know, I think this pandemic is going to go on until June 1st, <laughs> yeah. meaning June 1st of 2020. Now I would take it being over June 1st of 21. Oh. I, would, I would take it. 
Oh, I hear that someone, Bill Gates or somebody said the other day, you know, yeah, the vaccines will be, I believe it. And I'm thinking Bill Gates probably talks to people uh, bigger, you know, more influential than I do. And he's like, yeah, no, the pandemic will probably end uh, in, you know, at the uh, middle of next year and we'll start getting really a good vaccine. But all Americans won't have it until, so I look at 2022, January 23. I'm like, what? Like, if, if you took, if you told me right now that that was the case, and my kids would still be doing Zoom and everything, I just, I'd like get off the grid. I'd go to the mountains and go fishing for like another, you know, somewhere in Western Pennsylvania where you live or something, or you know. Well, I, I live in, uh, I live in Eastern, but and oh yeah, I would probably do cool. that anyway. The day after the, if certain results happen in the election, but. Uh, you know, you got kids and I got grandkids and that's going to keep you, uh, ex it's going to keep my ass exactly where I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I better yeah. suck it up, man. <laughs> oh no, I know the feeling. Um, uh, well, thanks. This has been great. I don't think I looked at our, our question sheet once because it was such a free flowing conversation and I'd be remiss, man. You've been really, uh, you, you know, when I first met you, you don't even remember, but it was early on in my New York times career. And, it was one of those things where you treated me like I was a regular scribe amongst the NBA writers. And I was, it, it might have sound regular to you, but for me, it was like, Jesus, I'm in this club. I'm in this club. And unfortunately, Peter Vesey's also in the club. But other, other than that, I really like that club. Well, you know, it was just, it was really cool to be sort of welcomed into that, uh, that, that fraternity and, you know, have been, uh, I don't know, you guys, you look up to a lot of people over the years and you've always, uh, you've always been one. So, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that. As, as you get older, so many people say, uh, and, and do get older, uh, somebody, so many people say, Hey, you know, I met you years ago and then I go, was I an asshole or was I okay? No, you were okay. It was okay. Yeah, I'm always worried about the one kid I didn't hook up with an yeah. internship or something, or I didn't. Exactly. I didn't you know, acknowledge in an elevator or something. I'm that's thinking, out there. That's out yeah, there. Yeah, no, I know, and I, you know, whatever. That was dope. It's time to wrap things up for this week. Thank you very much to our guest Jack McCallum, the Hall of Fame journalist. Thanks also to my producer Bruce Bernstein, as well as our talented editor Tom Phillips. Please listen to all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with John Fanta comes your way each Tuesday with the best college basketball guests anywhere. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here each Wednesday. And Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure drop in every Thursday. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman are here every Friday with the Pure Hoops podcast. And I'm back each Monday with the Mike Wise Show. Please listen, review us and leave a five-star rating like you're a family member or something. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Finally, look, I live five minutes from where the President of the United States was hospitalized after being infected with COVID-19. So it's still tearing through the country. Please wear your mask, wash your hands, and stay at least six feet away from others. And please treat everyone around you, even strangers, as friends be considerate and don't forget to keep our medical professionals in your thoughts also we all need to continue working for social justice as we strive for a more just and inclusive society and it's not just us leftist social engineers it's everybody darn it so please do your part until next week aloha the mike wise show used to be called the wise ass show but it remains a presentation of pure hoops media <laughs> <laughs>